Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. My wife and I were watching Songs of Praise from the BBC again the other day. The program was aired from Clandaff Cathedral in Wales. My wife, of course, is from Wales, so she was a bit homesick, thoroughly enjoyed the songs, many of which were sung in the Welsh language with English subtitles at the bottom of the screen. Actually, she was a little teary-eyed as she entered into the emotion of the moment with all that scenery and the lovely fullness of those Welsh voices filling our family room through the BBC. I also quite enjoyed the show myself and entered into the songs and commentary that attached itself to the celebration of St. David's Day, March 1st, celebrating the patron saint of Wales. The final selection chosen for the program was a very familiar and popular Welsh song, which they call Calendlan. I don't know what these words mean, but I particularly was moved by this song. The melody was enjoyable, the lyrics very interesting. The song spoke to the theme of having people having a pure heart, of the value and relevance of being one with a pure heart so as to be able to worship God in a more substantial and pure manner. Believe me when I tell you that the author of these lyrics must have understood spiritual realities. The words he wrote certainly convey an understanding of a heart that seeks to find and worship God in a real, pure, sincere way. And the melody enhances the appreciation of the telling, no doubt. Needless to say, for me it was an enjoyable hour, much more for my wife. I felt nearer to God during this event, I assure you. But this song that I've been on about, Calend Lan, brought the program to a respectable conclusion. The refrain was the most interesting of all to me, and I'll share it in a moment. There may be tears to shed as we travel there may be weary hours, dreary days and long, but there'll be no more heartaches round the heavenly throne, only glory, wondrous glory by and Heartache gone forever 
heavenly glory bright and bright. Then travel on with patience, Jesus holds thy hand. Someday we'll know the mysteries hard to understand. And then as conquerors enter that fair promised land, and the glory, wondrous glory by and by, only glory by and by, only glory by and by. We've crossed the river to our home on high. Only glory by and by. Only glory by and by. Every heartache gone forever. Only glory by and by. I've been talking about that Songs of Praise on BBC and the St. David's Day special from Wales. In particular, the Welsh are famous for their singing. It has been dubbed the Land of Song due to the reputation that grew over the decades because of the Welsh and their ability to sing so well. The song that grabbed my attention during this special episode focused on the sincere heart, the heart that is pure before God. The refrain of the song contains these words. A pure heart, full of goodness, is fairer than the pretty lily. None but a pure heart can sing, sing in the day and sing in the night. Remember the scripture that states, Who shall ascend into the hell of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Possibly this song was centered in these words of the psalmist, using poetic license, comparing a pure heart with a pretty lily. The songwriter reveals that none but a pure heart can sing, sing in the day and sing in the night. He that has a pure heart can also ascend into the hell of the Lord, stand in his holy place as well as sing all through the night. Would you consider that you have a pure heart, my listening friend? See 
message for today. Here is Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Greetings to you in the name of our gloriously risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are looking at the significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the believer as taught by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, chapters 6 and 7. Last time, we referred to the passage in Ephesians 4 and Colossians chapter 3, which instructs the believer to put off and put on in light of the fact that the old self has been crucified with Christ. The apostle says we are to put off the characteristics of the old self and put on the characteristics of the new self or new man we are in Christ. In other words, our practices, that is what we do, should characterize us as believers and they should be quite different from what we did and would characterize us as sinners when we were under Adam's curse. Paul, in fact, says this is the precise reason for the crucifixion of the old man in the first place. Hear his words again in Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. Knowing this, that the old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. That, my friends, is what Good Friday and Easter are all about for the believer in Christ. Listen very carefully now, because we are sometimes confused by what is being taught here. The body of sin is the term Paul uses to describe the instrument or means for carrying out the directive to sin, as given by the old self. Paul said that we must understand that the crucifixion of the old self nullified or short-circuited the means of sinning with its source. The only way we can respond to our old master, sin, is if we deliberately reconnect ourselves to his power and authority. And that takes 
a decision of the will. But as far as the believer is concerned, the body of sin is as dead as the old self itself. They both go together. The believer does not have to be subject to either any longer. We do not have to be subject or slaves to sin any longer, my friend. Why? Because as the scripture says, anyone who has died has been freed from the power of sin. In other words, a dead person cannot respond to stimuli associated with his former life any longer. And since believers have positionally died to sin in Christ, we were crucified when he was crucified, we cannot and must not respond to sinful stimuli from the old way of life. That would be acting out of character of who we really are. Now, of course, admittedly, none of us feel that we are dead to sin. In fact, most of us feel that we are quite alive to sin. But that's exactly Paul's point here. Our feelings have nothing to do with this truth. All we have to do is believe it, regardless as to how we feel. This truth is addressed to faith, as much as the truth that Christ died for us is addressed to faith. God says it, and that should settle it for the believer. And even as the assurance of our salvation is not based upon how we feel, but upon the word of God, and the word of God cannot lie. God is a God who cannot lie, and that's what he says. So it is without being dead to the power or control of sin over us. God says it. That should settle it. We believe it in spite of our feelings. But then Paul moves on to explain in detail in verses 8 through 11 of our passage that the results of our death with Christ is that we also share in his resurrection power and victory over sin. First he says, our union with Christ in his death, that's Good Friday, unites us also with him in his resurrection life. That's what we call Easter. I like to call the Lord's Resurrection Day. Listen to what he says. And I read now beginning at verse 8. Now, since we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died... He died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And of course, my friends, those are the words we should heed today on this resurrection day. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, even as Christ now lives only for the purpose of pleasing God, so the believer must know that his new life is also to be lived only for the purpose of pleasing and glorifying God himself. We live to serve God. We live to serve Jesus Christ, not the old master sin. That's the message of resurrection Lord's Day. Second, Paul says we must count this to be a fact and live it accordingly. Listen to verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I say again, my friends, this is a resurrection message. 
This is what we call Easter is all about. Now the King James translate this passage as reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. That word means to account or charge to our account. It means to compute to or to take into account. It is, in fact, an accounting term, which means, in essence, to regard as a fact, charge it to my account. Therefore, in our text, this simply means to believe what God has said and act or live your life on that basis. God has done the transaction. We believe it, and that's it. That's what Paul is saying. But then next, Paul explains the consequences of the resurrection of Christ for believers in verses 12 through 23 of our passage. Now, in a nutshell, he said it provides the basis for the believer's victory over sin in daily life and practice. He states five instances or aspects in this connection. First, from a physical perspective, we do not have to allow our bodies to commit sinful actions. Verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. It's a command. Notice, this is something we have control over. God is not responsible for doing this. We are, of course, in dependence upon him, but it's our choice, our will that brings it about. And because of the fact that our old self is dead and the body of sin is deactivated, as it were, we do not have to give in to the lingering remnants of a sin principle that does not realize that it is really dead. Wonderful truth here. But secondly, from a moral perspective, we do not have to choose to serve evil. We can choose to serve righteousness. Listen to verse 13. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, end of quote. And so negatively, Paul is saying, we must not go on offering our bodies as instruments of sin, but rather from a positive point of view, we are to offer our bodies to God as instruments of righteousness. In other words, to do his will. As James 4, 7 puts it, we are to submit ourselves to God. We are to resist the devil and he will flee from it. That's Paul's instructions as well. Thirdly now, from a pragmatic or practical perspective, Paul says in verses 14 through 23, that we must live in obedience to the word of God with the realization that we now live under the principle of grace, not law. He states five things here also. First, under grace, we serve a new master. Therefore, we must live our lives accordingly. Verse 14, he says, Sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. This is a summary and repetition of all that he has been saying up to this point. We live the victorious life over sin by drawing upon the grace of God into which we have been placed because of faith in Jesus Christ. Second, Paul says, under grace and under the control of Christ, we have a different attitude towards freedom or liberty. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be, says the apostle. In other words, we must not use our freedom 
as a license to sin. Third, under grace, we know the difference between our old and new masters. Verse 16 says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. In other words, our masters are revealed by our behavior. And it is as, it is as black and white as that. We are slaves to whom we obey. But fourth, Paul says, under grace we have been led to make the right choice of masters. We must now live this out in practice. Listen to what he says in verses 17 through 19. Quote, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now, today on this resurrection day, present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. End of quote. Fifth, and finally, from a theological perspective, Paul says that life under the power of the old self led to death, but that life in the new self leads to eternal life. Listen to his words again in verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. End of quote. What a wonderful passage of scripture that is, and to understand on this resurrection day. That eternal life, my friend, is to be lived out victoriously now by the believer on the basis of his or her union with Jesus Christ in his death, that's Good Friday, to sin, and in his glorious resurrection, that's Easter, into a new life of victory over the power of sin. I say again, my friend, that's what Good Friday and Easter are all about. And that's why they go together like horse and carriage, and why you can't have one without the other, and you cannot put the carriage before the horse. They must be in order. The resurrection comes after the death. Good Friday precedes Easter. They go together like horse and carriage. So let me ask you, are you enjoying the benefits of those glorious life-changing events that we celebrate on Good Friday and Easter? I trust that you are. And today you can say because of your victory over sin, hallelujah, what a savior. Jesus is alive and he lives within me to give me power over sin. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things.
You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. The great commander's promise He will surely come again I am listening every moment For the mighty trumpet sound What a time we'll have together When the saints shall leave the ground And our toiling will be Happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again